The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Sportbox. Here are your headlines today. U.S. President Joe Biden and China's Xi Jinping agreed to open high-level military talks and a presidential hotline as the two vowed to work together, but certain tension remains. He's a dictator in the sense that he, he is the guy who runs a country that is a communist country that's based on a form of government totally different than ours. Data optimism pushes Wall Street towards a third straight week of gains after U.S. factory inflation shows its biggest decline in three and a half years. Target shares post one of their best daily performances on record after the firm notches its biggest earnings beat in two and a half years and sells down inventories. Traders eyeing Macy's as well as Walmart earnings later today. And Siemens posts record annual revenue and industrial profit, the German industrial giant issuing a strong outlook, but excludes its newly announced investment in Siemens Energy. We'll hear from the CEO that's happening at 7.45, CET. And shutdown averted. The U.S. Senate passes a stopgap funding bill to avert a government shutdown, sending it to the president's desk ahead of Friday's midnight deadline. Well, we had plenty of camera moments between the two leaders, but was it anything more than just optics here? And U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping have agreed to resume high-level military communication. The two leaders met in person for the first time in a year in San Francisco on the sidelines of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Conference. China had severed military contact after then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan in August 2022. They also agreed to open a presidential hotline and work to curb fentanyl production. But Biden also reiterated that he had not changed his opinion that she is a dictator. Biden said the two had been blunt with one another and knew where they stood. I also stressed the importance of peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits. It's clear that we object to, be, to Beijing's non-market economic practices and disadvantage that, that disadvantage American businesses and workers, and that we'll continue to address them. And I named what I thought a number of those were. Now, according to the U.S., President Xi said there needed to be a longer-term resolution on Taiwan. In his opening remarks, Xi called the U.S.-China relationship the most important in the world saying turning their back on one another was not an option, but that it is also unrealistic for one side to remodel the other, while conflict would have unbearable consequences. Now, she later addressed a CEO dinner where he said relations had to stay strong. It is the convergence of many streams of goodwill and friendship that has created a strong current surging across the vast Pacific Ocean. It is the reaching out to each other by our peoples that has time and again brought China-U.S. relations from a low ebb back onto the right track. 
I'm convinced that once open, the door of China-U.S. relations cannot be shut again. So the big question, Sam, is whether we still have this great Gwyneth Paltrow comment of uh, conscious decoupling taking place between the two countries and whether that still destroys the relationship or whether something has now changed with this meeting. Very good morning to you, Karen and Aribile. Well, we've got to remember and put into context that the bar going into this was low. Both sides had very much been playing down any sort of major breakthrough or any big deliverable or a grand announcement from this. At the very least, it was a chance for the two presidents to shake hands and actually meet face-to-face for the first time in a year and significantly since the balloon incident. So what we did get in terms of the takeaways was that uh, announcement, certainly on fentanyl and cooperating uh, on that anti-drug uh, situation, of course, but also when you talk about uh, re-engaging and re-establishing military-to-military ties, because that has really been the missing link in all of this uh, re-engagement we've seen over the summer with this sort of flurry of diplomacy uh, after, of course, uh, China rejected an offer to actually meet with uh, the defence chief here in Singapore back in June. Now, the other thing which you rightly pointed out was this hotline that they're going to be setting up uh, really to basically get themselves into a position where the two presidents are able to pick up the phone uh, to each other. So those were the three sort of major takeaways from all of this. Whether we can hail this a success, uh, to your point, Karen, uh, perhaps a little bit too early to tell because analysts that we've been speaking to throughout the course of the morning have said that really it is now about the implementation Uh, of those takeaways, Uh, whether uh, we will actually see both sides walking the talk. That has certainly been something we've heard from the Chinese side uh, in the lead up to this. We've got to remember that both sides have been sceptical about the sincerity of these negotiations throughout the summer. uh, And particularly as Biden is heading into an election year, you mentioned that uh, comment about uh, a dictator. At this point, President Xi Jinping is probably quite used to that. It's not the first time that we've heard uh, that sort of commentary. Uh, But this is exactly the point, is that Biden is heading into an election year. Analysts have been suggesting that uh, the US wasn't going into this looking to overpromise on what could be achieved here because uh, there is this perception that Biden doesn't want to look soft uh, on China. But at the same time, uh, President Xi Jinping did not want to walk away with any sort of empty promises from this. Uh, One of the discussions was around Taiwan. Uh, This is one of the most sensitive issues in this relationship between Beijing and Washington. And certainly he was looking for reassurances that the US would not back Taiwan independence, particularly uh, in the lead up to another election, which is, of course, happening in just a few months uh, in January uh, over in Taiwan. So uh, there was a lot of conversations about a range of topics. I think the big question now is whether it has actually managed to ease some of these investor concerns, particularly off the back of that dinner that she had with those American business leaders uh, and whether uh, he was convincing enough uh, in terms of the investment landscape over in China. Back to you. Um, Thank you very much for running us through the latest developments there. Meantime, US investors got another soft inflation surprise Wednesday after producer prices notched an unexpected 0.5% decline in October. That was the biggest drop since April 2020. Well below the 0.1% uptick Wall Street had penciled in. 
Core producer prices surprised to the downside too, coming in unchanged on the month. Annually, it rose 2.4% below expectations and the smallest since the beginning of 2021. A U.S. retail sales fell less than expected for last month, and September's figure was revised higher, mudding the water for traders looking for definitive proof of a slower economy ahead of next month's Fed decision. Sales fell 0.1% in October, their first decline since March. Wall Street had expected a 0.3% drop. I just want to circle back to that comment about the very mixed picture that traders were getting around the economic slowdown thanks to retail sales. Yeah. And I think we've been hearing it from retailers. There's a very split consumer out there. So those that have fixed their mortgage still have a little bit of wriggle room, so they're still spending a little bit around the edges. Others that have uh, been really hit by all the pain points around higher credit costs have started to uh, very much change their behaviours. So I think this split picture is something that the market's just going to have to navigate. It's nuanced, right? And if you look at what we've had in terms of uh, the student loans, there was a view, if you looked at the core, that some of the student loans were not really starting to bite yet either. So that still may be a slow-moving train coming when it comes to retail sales. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the consumer is in, in perhaps selective spending mode, it, it would seem, right? You, even if you take a look at the earnings, and we'll unpack this a little bit later on with one of our guests when it comes to uh, the retail earnings segment, but really just a comparison between Target and TJX as well is actually just on different sides of the spectrum, just with regards to what is anticipated as well, what the consumer is actually doing. You saw Target pretty much beat uh, a lot of the expectations on the market to beat the street. TJX, unfortunately, not the same consumer, right, by the looks of it. And, and I, I guess it is that clear story. It is a selective spending. And while this has always been the humdrum or the engine of the U.S. economy, can that be sustainable in this environment where things do need to stay higher for longer? Or is it a case of now that the U.S. will have to start considering growth at some stage early next year? Because yeah. that's what the market is pretty much pricing in with those rate cuts. For me, the big ticket items, it's an issue here too. And don't forget, out of all the companies we've been talking to, it's a lot of the car makers. And for them, the elephant in the room has been the impact of credit costs. Yeah. They hadn't necessarily seen it because we still had those pandemic trends where there's been pent up demand, they had, had their own issues with supply chain. So as the cars have come through the dealerships or online, then they have been picked up by the consumers. But in the numbers now, Americans spent less at auto dealerships because of higher interest rates. So that's going to be interesting at this stage. Uh, but to me, the other point is that we are going to see this navigation of those very different trends. Now, Home Depot was talking about it. Just because you've been spending at a rapid clip doesn't mean you just stop spending. You can look for promotions as well. You can wait for those promotional periods. And we are coming up to one, yeah. Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So we may still get mm. decent pockets of spending as well, where consumers are trying to use their funds wisely to buy the things that they want to buy, as inflation has also started to decline too, which, of course, alters the price that uh, some of the consumers were perceiving they would have to pay for some of the goods. Yeah. The pastor effect then all the way to the banks, I think, has also been one that I found very interesting. And yesterday, Deutsche Bank actually made note that the mega cap banks could actually take hits to their net interest income levels as rates begin to fall. With the expectation then from the market that you, you see uh, rates maybe falling around May next year or so, according to what has been priced into the CME Fed Fund tool, um, mega cap bank disclosures suggest that all remain positioned for higher, not lower interest rates. So how much of that gets hit onto the banks then as we, as we look into uh, some of their earnings then year, last year? Yeah. Um, and, and just how much of these big names, the likes of City, the likes of Goldman, um, you know, who might have you know, relatively neutral uh, stances right now. But if things go lower, that could hurt. Certainly could. 
All right, we'll continue to take a look at the, this market picture then. And let's, let's just unpack this a little bit at the wall, in fact. And it really was a, a more of a, a winning day, really, for this market uh, structure, even if it was only just for the NASDAQ. But let's consider that it was a fourth day in a row of uptakes, actually, for the Dow Jones, around half a percent higher, in fact, uh, by the close of that trading picture. This time, investors were cheering that PPI print that we made note of as well, down 0.5%, a surprise figure, really. But one considers that the market had perhaps looked at a 0.3% decline instead. Not necessarily that we're in disinflation territory, but it does mean that things are beginning to slow. It is getting uh, a little bit more difficult, perhaps consumer-wise, but prices are beginning to ease up with regards to their growth. Uh, we're halfway through the month of November, and I found this very interesting. While we have had around three months, two to three months of decline across this market, it has begun to pick up again. Does this rally have legs towards the end of this year? The S&P 500 is up 7% this month alone. Yes, we're only at halfway, but this is still interesting to note. The Dow is up around 6%. The Nasdaq is up 9.8%. So clearly the tech or the growth stocks, or the mega cap growth stocks, have actually still got some legs to push on. But is that sustainable? And that will possibly be the question the market will be asking themselves right now. Seven of the 11 sectors of the S&P 500 were on the up yesterday. Energy was the laggard, but on the up, consumer staples. Let's take a look at the treasuries then. We saw a lot of these yields actually head higher today. It was a recovery from what we saw from Tuesday. Some of the losses we uh, incurred out of the treasury market then on Tuesday both the two-year as well as the 10-year, managed to actually pick up around 11 basis points yesterday after falling below those key levels. It was 4.5 that uh, the Treasury, the 10-year Treasury has been sitting uh, below, and that has been the key uh, mark then that the market has kind of looked at. 4.5 was a support level. It still is just below that mark right now. But as you can see, we have uh, dipped off just a little bit from those 11 basis point highs we got yesterday. A rebound in yields came after another encouraging inflation report, as I noted, that PPI number, negative 0.5%. The two-year, still 4.89%. Onto the Asian markets then. Well, the Hang Seng is giving up a lot of what it had gained in the previous session of nearly, what was it, 4% of gains then, which uh, led a lot of the Asian gains yesterday. Today, look at that, 1% down for the Hang Seng. Uh, and that comes from Xpang, uh, which leads the electric vehicle stocks lower than today, dipping 4% after reporting a wider third quarter loss. So that quarterly loss impacting the Hang Seng, but it is a negative sense across the Asian market and not filtering through from yesterday's positivity then uh, out of, uh, of course, the United States. President Xi and Biden's talks will also be consumed a little bit into this market picture. Overall, the U.S. futures markets have been broadly positive for this month. Futures are looking uh, a little bit weaker on some uh, of those jobless claims, industrial production, and housing market data is due today. If you want more Fed speak, well, you'll get it from Loretta Mester as well as John Williams. UBS CEO Sergio Motti has told CNBC he's not phased by the prospect of central bank rate cuts. Speaking exclusively to Jamana on the sidelines of the UBS conference in London, Motti said inflation still remains too high for central banks to declare victory and ruled out any aggressive rate cuts in the near term.
inflation is still well above uh, the central bank targets. If you look at core inflation, it's well above, uh, and, and, and despite that, everybody expects uh, uh, huge rate cuts. Maybe they happen, maybe not, but I can tell you that it's way too early to declare victory. Uh, inflation has to, and I believe will continue to be the most important thing central banks needs, needs to focus on uh, in the mm -hmm. foreseeable future. So they will need to see uh, inflation coming below their target rates before rates come down. So I would be extremely surprised mm -hmm. to see uh, rates coming down before that. And meanwhile, Morgan Stanley Chairman and CEO James Gorman told CNBC he thinks inflation has been stamped out given the latest prints out of the US and UK. Speaking to Will Kalouris in Singapore, Gorman questioned whether central banks should continue to stick to their 2% inflation target. Inflation was 10%. Uh, wasn't transitory. There were some structural issues. There were supply chain issues. Um, uh, but now you've seen the numbers coming out of the US and the UK. I think in the last 24 hours, the UK uh, was below whatever the, the projected five plus percent. I think it was four and a half or so. Uh, the US was now trending down. I think it's in the low threes. This is real progress. And, you know, give, give, the, um, give the central banks credit. They moved aggressively with rates. I think they were late. Um, just a personal view, but it doesn't matter. When they got there, they really got going. Uh, took rates from zero to five and a half percent. The Fed did five, five and a half percent in, in almost record time. Fastest rate increase in 40 years. And it's had the impact. Are we done? We're not done. Um, is 2% absolutely necessary? My personal view is no. Uh, but directionally, to be heading in that uh, around two, three percent, I think is a very acceptable outcome given the cards that they were dealt with. So give them credit. Our colleague stateside will be speaking to the Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester. Don't miss that exclusive interview at 7.30 p.m. CET. Now coming up on the show, U.S. retail earnings are in full swing as American consumers show their resilience amid a tough economic backdrop. But just how merry is the forecast going into the holiday season? Plus, in Spain, Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez faces down lawmakers as he puts a controversial coalition deal with Catalan separatists to a parliamentary vote. And on the earnings front, Siemens posts record full-year revenue and industrial profits. We'll be hearing from the CEO, Roland Bush. That's at 7.45 CET. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Well, Dutch Insurance and Asset Management Group Agon has raised its guidance for full-year operating capital generation after reporting strong sales growth in the U.S. as well as Brazil. Lard Fries is the CEO of Agon and joins us now. Uh, Lard, appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us then this morning. Um, you've been working hard to dispel sort of any weakness in your net profit for some time. You had the 3% uptick. Uh, in the first half of the year. Now you're seeing uh, that uh, raising of the guidance on that operating capital generation uh, by around 16%.
can you fully say that your below-the-line profits are a time that is behind you? Good morning, and uh, thanks for having me uh, on the show again. Uh, this morning, we're giving a trading update uh, on our progress to the capital markets. Um, we have indeed raised our full-year guidance for the operating capital generation, which is uh, up 16% on the quarter. Our commercial results in the U.K., uh, sorry, in the U.S., are very strong, 10% uh, up in life insurance sales and more than double uh, our written sales in, in retirement plans in the mid-market in America. And we see a mixed picture in the U.K. with strong workplace solution sales, but a weakish picture on the retail, uh, on the retail side. Uh, and in our, our other com uh, countries, especially in Brazil, uh, also uh, commercial momentum is strong. And to top that off, we've also disclosed today uh, strong capital ratios, which means that the balance sheet remains uh, very strong. And that is, uh, I think, uh, uh, demonstrating sound progress that we're making on the implementing of our strategy, uh, of which we gave an update a couple of months ago in London on our Capital Markets Day. Yeah, you also speak about capital ratios in the main units remaining above the respective operating level. Sustainability of this, though, in a tough economic climate, choppy markets, higher interest rates, inflation still uh, not necessarily at levels that uh, central banks would even want it at. How do you sustain these levels? Uh, we are cautious. Uh, we are cautious. We realize that we're living in a world with many geopolitical uh, dynamics which are highly concerning with an inflation uh, that uh, that is being fought by central banks uh, with a lot of interest rate volatility and potential a lot of market volatility ahead as well. So what we do is we run multiple scenarios. We are an institutional investor. We always ensure that the hedging that we do to our capital ensures that at all scenarios uh, the client's money is safe with us. Like, can I turn your focus to the UK business? Fascinating story early in the week from BT that had cut the funding deficit around the pension. We all know it's one of the biggest pensions out there and it's had issues over the years. What are you seeing in terms of uh, the high interest rate, the ability to cover some of those long-term liabilities and the actual appetite of the marketplace for pensions at this point? We are seeing already for years, Karen, a, um, a move, of course, from defined benefit to defined contribution pensions. And um, the retirement plan market has uh, evolved very positively over the last years, and we continue to see momentum there also in the, in the future. Um, our position is quite strong. We are a top five player, and we have seen over the last quarters our workplace solutions, as we call it, so our retirement plan sales to employers uh, increasing. And also this quarter, in spite of the fact that we lost a large client, which is very unfortunate, but unfortunately these things happen, the underlying trend is still that the workplace, uh, so the pension business, is growing. On the retail side, it's a different story because we're seeing in the UK that there's a cost of living crisis. Inflation is relatively high still, very high. And as a result, uh, sentiment of investors uh, is, is, let's say, retail investors is not that buoyant. And the industry is facing that. Now, we are responding to that uh, by ensuring that the retail platform that we operate is continuously improved so that the independent financial advisors that use that platform for administering the uh, assets under management of their clients, that they choose us over others. Uh, but the backdrop in the retails, in, in a retail uh, space is, uh, is still, uh, is still uh, subdued because of the, uh, of the economic pressures in the U.K., 
Lud, as you look at the macro now, we've had a very interesting week where we've had very tame inflation that's crossed in various different parts of the world, from the United States to the UK. How are you thinking of the higher rate environment? Because a message from central banks was that it was higher for longer, but the data has put a question mark around the timing and pace of rate cuts in 2024. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think inflation is not stamped out easily. Uh, central banks over the last years have done a lot of work. Uh, the, interest rate, the Fed has raised, uh, raised interest rate levels uh, 11 times now. But it has to, it, it takes time to, to work through the system. And that is something that is happening as we speak. And yes, we're seeing encouraging data coming through. And yesterday as well from the United States, where we're seeing that inflation is slowing down, is actually coming, uh, coming to, you know, reducing, which is good. But it's not, uh, not any, 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 uh, uh, anything near to the policy objectives of central banks. So I think it will take time for inflation to truly settle down and also time, therefore, for, I think, the ability to cut rates. Now, the market is, of course, speculating on when, whether rates can be cut sooner or later. Uh, for us, interest rates uh, levels uh, uh, are at a higher level are good for the industry and good for Aegon uh, and also good for our clients as our products become way more attractive to them. Uh, at the same time, uh, stability of interest rates is very important. We've seen a lot of volatility. We've been able to shield and navigate through that very well and shield the balance sheet very well for that. But stability in interest rates uh, at a certain level is, I think, also something that is, uh, that is required. And Lard, before we let you go, can I ask you about Brazil and the joint venture that you've got there? Because some strong numbers delivered now, new lifestyles almost doubling uh, compared with the same time a year ago. What sort of growth are you seeing in that part of the world? Well, we're seeing actually uh, there's a lot of demand uh, and a lot of uh, if, you, if you if you, for instance, uh, look at the level of insurance uh, per capita in Brazil versus the Western uh, Western part of the world, there is still a lot of ground uh, to be covered. And we have uh, worked with our joint venture partner already for a very long time, and they have consistently outpaced the market in terms of, uh, of, of sales growth. We're very pleased with our partner there, and we're collaborating very closely and actually have increased our, uh, our stake to 60% economically uh, in the last quarter. Lard, thank you very much for joining us again and walking us through the numbers today. Lard Fisser with us, the CEO of Aircon. Elsewhere, Alcon missed on third quarter net sales targets and narrowed its outlook. But speaking to Juliana, the CEO, David Endicott, lauded a strong quarter for the pharma company that is despite inflation and rate concerns. We had a terrific quarter, really. I mean, I think what was exciting about it was we saw growth in ahead of market in pretty much all of our categories. So, you know, markets were, were very solid. Um, I would say, you know, a little bit softer in uh, surgical, but very robust in, in our vision care business. And uh, again, as you say, vision care is doing very well on the back of a lot of contact lens progress. And so feeling very good about that. FX hurt us a little bit, you know, just in the big picture, you know, the, the dollar strengthened, particularly against emerging market currencies. And we're, you know, we're distributed all over the world. So of course, that's, that's something we, we pay close attention to. Let's talk a little bit about surgical growth. Uh, the category grew in line with the market, but I know that some investors were disappointed by growth in this uh, this category. Um, that's part of the reason why the stock has traded down on the results. Give us a little bit of color on what's going on in surgical. Well, I think I think there may have been a little bit too much enthusiasm from the first half of the year. I, I think people are forgetting that we're wrapping around soft quarters on prior years. So 
Uh, China had a huge bounce back in the second quarter, if you remember, and we grew 7% in a category, you know, that normally grows, you know, four or five, somewhere in there. And so when you see it come back to four, I think maybe it caught some folks who weren't paying attention um, a little bit by surprise, but we were satisfied with the global growth. Um, again, I think the U.S. was a little bit softer than the international markets, but I do think that uh, pretty much normal growth as we see it. What about in terms of inflationary effects and R&D investment in the coming months? Yeah, well, we, we still see a little bit of inflation, and particularly we're carrying a lot of inventory and raw material that was bought at, a, at an inflated price. So remember, you know, what we've said to people is, look, it's going to take us six months or more, maybe eight, to work off that raw material and inventory, and then we will realize the benefits of what is a kind of a deceleration in the inflation numbers. Um, we hope that continues. Again, uh, that you know the, the print yesterday on uh, U.S. inflation was helpful, um, but I think it's it's uh, yet to be seen where that goes. You know, in the long term, so we're good about that and um, and feel like that's that's in a positive frame. Mm. It, in the last week or so, the 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 market, the financial market, has taken on this view that the Federal Reserve may be able to achieve that soft landing, and we might avoid a recession in the U.S. And obviously, that has ripple effects throughout the world. But if we do see an economic slowdown, how do you see your business holding up? Well, you know, our business is very resilient. And, you know, eye care is something that people pay for. It's something they value. Uh, among the things that people worry most about as you get a little bit older is, is losing your sight and your vision. So cataract surgeries are largely unaffected. And, and so from, uh, you know, those pathologies that our ocular pathologies or the cataracts, which is a big part of our business, you know, those really don't get affected. You know, there's a little bit of an effect, I think, on trade-ups. If you're in a reusable contact lens, maybe you don't want to go to the new dailies. Um, but directionally, we've seen a pretty robust consumer so far this year. And, you know, I think uh, historically we've seen, generally speaking, we don't get affected too much. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.